You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Doing a sermon series. Love's pure light. A little bit awkward. We're, we're going with the candles, uh, and we're, we're pairing those up with some values and goals and directions for us. I'm going to move this to the front just for beauty's sake. And the pink one is joy. All over the world, they're celebrating the week of joy. Uh, and so we're going to talk about the candles today, but we're going to pair those up with some other stuff. If you have any questions or comments at any time, please, no question. Any question. I mean, I'll take anything, um, even if it's unrelated. But if there's something on your mind that you want answered or you want to talk about or dialogue about, please send it. We'll do it. That'll be at the bottom of the screen every time. But yeah, we're doing a sermon series through this season the church calls Advent, which is about the arrival of Jesus. I think I said this in week one. Advent is this really mysterious time where two worlds kind of overlap. We remember the story of the people waiting for the Messiah in the beginning 2,000 years ago. And then remember that we are also waiting for Jesus' second coming. And so those themes get blended and it becomes a time of introspection, a time of, of doing some hard work. This really is the Lent before Easter, but in Christmas time. It's a season of preparation so that we can wait and anticipate and receive the good news of Christmas, the incarnation all over again. Fleming Rutledge says Advent is a time for making a fearless inventory of the darkness. So we're going to think about our own spiritual journey in relation to the candles. These are the themes of the candle, hope, peace, joy, love, and Jesus is the big center one. But also my boss has handed down to me some goals and guides for what they want us to look like as far as a church, and I think even individually. These come up with cross-cultural collaboration. That's something we talked about week one. We did holiness last week. Uh, which was a fun time. I got a lot of comments about that one. Uh, we're doing Christ-compelled multiplication today, love-driven justice next week, and then God-given revelation. And I hope you can see how that's working out with the candles. God's hope for the world was that we would be one unified family. Right? God's, the, the peace that God wants us to have comes through our growth and relationship with Him today. Uh, joy. This is the hardest one that fits, but you'll be there, I promise you. Love-driven justice, we said, and then the revelation, I mean, this is Jesus. This is, we believe that Jesus is the fullest revelation of who God is. Jesus shows us what God is like. Today, though, Christ-compelled multiplication. What I'm going to talk about today, we're going to boil this down even to one word, is discipleship. We're going to talk about what discipleship is. Essentially, this, what we're doing is a school of and for Jesus. We're learning to follow Jesus. That's what discipleship is about. I love this topic. This is what I want this church to be about. I'm going to pitch you a process later that I've, I've come up with. Take it or leave it. But this is, uh, this is something that I want the table to be about. Helping us grow to be closer to Jesus and to be more like Jesus. But, you know, we start with the bad news so that we can better receive the good news. And I think the bad news is this. Faith should be personalized, but it was never meant to be individualized or privatized. Can I add the word only? Just to soften the blow a little bit. 
should be, you should have a personal faith. I want you, it should be personal to you, it should be meaningful to you, it should be transformative to you, but it was never meant to be privatized. It was never meant to be only you and about you and everybody else just needs to mind their business. This is a public thing that we're supposed to do. This really comes about in the Enlightenment. Uh, that's a picture of the Enlightenment, apparently. We got some good Enlightenment <laughs> philosophers. What happened around the 1700s was that uh, in parts of Europe, they started saying, let's not let tradition guide everything we do. Let's not let religion guide everything we do. Let's not the old way that we've always done it guide everything we do. And there's a lot of great things that came out of that. Right? They started talking about liberties and freedoms and equal rights for everyone and, and really recognizing the humanity of everyone. There were still a lot of issues, a lot of issues in the Enlightenment. But what kind of comes out of this is that we, we're not going to let religion dictate what goes on in the world, but it's fine if you want to have it here. Just be quiet about it. It's, it's a thing between you and Jesus, and you just do it. And kind of what that's turned into is when Jesus says things like, follow me or make disciples, we don't really have a, a public way, a communal way of doing that. So what do we do? We just, we send people to the book, right? Just go read the book. I love the book. I want you to read the book every day. I think it's one of the most important things you can do. But that's not what discipleship means. Uh, discipleship me always meant a, a, a visceral one-on-one -on -one relationship or two-on-one. It always meant community, always meant people. But we say, go read the book. Go read the book. And again, please read the book. Read the book. But this isn't how we get discipled. This is how we learn to follow Jesus. This isn't how we grow necessarily in our faith. It is a tool for growth, but it isn't what was communicated for. This came, again, out of the Enlightenment. We're all pretty, I mean, as far as the history of Christianity goes, we're all pretty well-to-do. If you got a book at all, you're doing great. If you're educated enough to know how to read it, you're crushing it in the scope of history. That is not what discipleship always was or originally meant to was. Also because we love this as God's word, and it's important for us. But God dwells in you. God dwells in each of us as we become followers of Jesus. And so growing closer to Jesus will involve reading God's word for sure, but it's going to be more important that we're close to one another as we are trying to figure out who Jesus is and what's, what image of God we're being conformed to and how we do the stuff. Anyone can pop this open and start reading, but when we start trying to figure out what this looks like in the details, we need, we need living examples. This is why St. Paul would say things in the book like, follow me as I follow Jesus. Because most people didn't, or you'd say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And I know, even when I say that, I start feeling things and like, I'm not good enough to say that, right? I got, I got more issues than TV Guide, right? Like, I don't, I'm not, don't, but that's the way it was meant to happen. This thing that God is doing in the world. But we have this privatized faith where we say, mind your business, I'll figure it out. I got the book. I might ask some questions for some trusted people, but we'll figure it out. And I don't think that's the way that the Bible has encouraged us to do this thing.
I also want to say that if your faith stops with you, I don't think you're living out the will and ways of God well. It was never supposed to only be about you, though it should also include you. This is David Platt. He says, privatized faith in a resurrected Christ is practically inconceivable. This is a public thing that happened. We believe Jesus is Lord of the whole cosmos. Uh, it's not meant to be just about me and mind your own business and I'll figure it out. This is Richard Stearns. He wrote a great book called The Whole in Our Gospel. I, he was the president of World Vision, uh, did a lot of uh, global poverty alleviation, sponsoring children, incredible guy. I love the book. He says, we must move beyond an anemic view of our faith as something only personal and private with no public dimension and instead see it as the source of power that could change the world. Am I saying world? Just fill in the blank. He said it. He probably messed it up. I did it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you get it, right? It's not supposed to be just private. There's supposed to be this. It's supposed to be loud. It's supposed to be out loud. And for me, that public dimension involves the communal nature of discipleship. We need each other. It was meant to be that way. This is how we multiply the movement that God is doing in the world. The most important text on this comes at the end of Matthew. Jesus is raised from the dead on Easter morning and he meets with his disciples and he gives them in Matthew one last word of encouragement. Matthew gives us the great commandment, right? Love God with your whole self and love your neighbor as yourself. And then at the end, he gives us this thing called the great commission and it comes in Matthew 28. We're gonna read that, take some points from it. Be on our way. It says this, now the 11, one's missing, if you don't know, spoil, one gets out, gets out of the story. They went to Galilee to a mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And I point out every time how beautiful this is to me, that even in the midst of the first Easter morning, there's room for worship and doubt in the midst of all of this. And that's still true for us today, but that's a different sermon. Jesus came near to them and spoke to them. I've received all authority in heaven and earth, therefore... Go and make disciples of all people or all nations. Same word. You get to decide. Everywhere. And this is what you're supposed to do. Two-fold process. Baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. That is what we have received. This is the whole story. Pull some points from here. You know how we preach, head, heart, hand, something for us to know with our heads, something for us to feel. Or, I mean, this is about us and our transformation and how this connects to who we are. And this is something we're supposed to do, outward expression. Because it can't get stuck up here, otherwise it becomes a private faith. It needs to be a holistic faith that moves from our head to our heart to our hands into the world. And I think this is one of the things that Jesus wants us to know out of this. Multiplication is God's mission. Multiplication is God's mission. We see it. Jesus says, I've received all authority. He could say anything after this. I don't know what he's going to say. That's a big statement. Heaven and earth and the entire cosmos, I've received all authority. Go make disciples. Multiply yourselves, which is ultimately multiplying me into the world. 
But we don't just see it here. We see it on page one of Scripture, Genesis 1. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. God blessed them and said, be fertile or fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth with God's image. Fill this creation that God just created. Fill it with God's image to the ends of the earth. We bring this up every time, but it bears repeating. In the Old Testament, this meant make babies. And in the New Testament, this means make disciples. And Jesus goes to great lengths to make this obvious to us by calling us children, by calling disciples little children. It changes the emphasis. In the Old Covenant, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. The New Covenant, the sign of the covenant is baptism. Because women are included now. They get to represent the, the, the covenant of God, right? They get to be a part of what's happening. Uh, and anyone can now be a part of this Jesus movement. It's not genitalia-based. We all clear? Baptism. Not so, you can still do circumcision, but it's just, it's just for fun now. <laughs> Baptism. Fun's the wrong word. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> you do circumcision if you want, but don't be surprised when they come home with earrings and tattoos, right? We're already doing it in the beginning. <laughs> Baptism. That's the sign of the new covenant. Everyone's involved. Jesus went to great lengths to include everyone, including children, you know, men and women, uh, single people, right? This was a huge thing for Jesus, and he wanted to include single. It's not about biological procreation. It's about discipleship. It's about multiplication through this process called discipleship. God relates to us as a parent and wants us to relate back to God as children because God, in week one, we talked about how the hope of humanity from God is, is, is one unified family. Which is what I think about when I think about this. That we are becoming a spiritual family. And what do families do naturally? Multiply. Right? Multiply. Lots of different ways. Sometimes it's just marrying. When people get married, you, you are combining families. And you're bringing people into the family unit. Sometimes it's having children, right? Or multiple children. I got three. I had two. My wife and I, now we have three. Multiplied. This is the analogy that God wants us to use and think about when we are thinking about what we're doing here. Becoming one big family. And like family, right? Like my, my kids didn't have to try out to be a part of my family, right? Well, there was no process where they like had to perform they just are a part of the family now and they learn to do what the family does through watching people older than them right this is when we have dinner this is when we do the dishes this is when we go to church this is when we do our prayers this is when i scratch your back every night with a brush because i don't have any fingernails right every night we learn by watching, by doing, by being with one another. It's, it's absorbed. There's no manual for them to read and go, this is what it means to be a lackey. It's absorbed. It's, it's caught, right? And less taught. This is what God wants us to think about. 
Multiplication is God's mission. One of my heroes of the faith, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote a great book called The Cost of Discipleship. Make that part of your 2022 reading. It is the best. He says, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Like This is the core of what Jesus is doing. This is what God's doing in the world. Multiplication. Making a family that grows and grows and grows. What does God want you to experience or feel? How does this impact you? What, what part and parcel do you play in all of this thing called discipleship and multiplication? It has to do with your growth and the goal of your faith. And this is something I talk about often because it was meaningful for me. The goal for you is to look like Jesus. This is your individual personalized mission. Jesus is making you to be like Jesus. And I have a thousand verses and I only give you a hundred. And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. One of Jesus' most often used commands is follow me. Follow me. Because the goal is discipleship. Do you know how many times the Bible uses the word Christian? It's like three. It uses the word disciple like 200 plus times. Like this is what Jesus is about, following Jesus. And he's like, there's cross happening. There's coming after me. There's a denial of self. We're doing the stuff that Jesus did. Romans, Paul tells us, God decided in advance that we would be conformed to the image of his son. This is the goal of your faith. Peter tells us, Jesus left you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Ephesians tells us, imitate God like dearly loved children. Live your life with love, following the example of Christ. 1 John tells us, the one who claims to remain in Jesus ought to live in the same way as he lived. All hearts clear? That's the goal of your faith. And the reason why that was so impactful to me is because I came to faith when I was 15. This may be the coolest picture that's ever taken of me. <laughs> Frame it for me and put it on my desk. I need a, a goals, hashtag goals picture around. But uh, I came to faith when I was 15. I came from a, a home that was broken and dysfunctional. This was such water for me. This was such uh, water in a parched land for my soul. It was incredible. And I had a wild transformation and Jesus became very real very quickly. But almost immediately after that, I went, great, I'm 15. What am I going to do with the next 70 years of my life? Right? Like, just, I mean, I'm saved, right? I'm saved from hell. I'm saved for heaven. And if all goes according to plan, that's 70 years from now. Do I just like try not to lose this? Do I just hold on to the church chair as long as I can? I mean, I would think about this a lot. I was like, maybe I could move into the church. Like I just really wanted to like not lose what had happened. I was like trying to figure out if there was a room I could stay in. I was like, I'll take care of the property. Legit, I was like, they were like, absolutely not. Do you know about insurance? They will be so upset. Um, I remember being in a men's retreat going, and I said it out loud, because I, I, I'm a verbal processor, if you can't tell. And I was like, sometimes I wish I would have had that experience when I was 80. 
and not when I was 15. Because I was just worried. This great thing just happened, and I saw a lot of people mess up a lot of great things, and I just didn't want to mess it up. And I thought it was a one-time event. I thought I got saved from hell to heaven. My name was written in the book of life. And all that's true, but there's more. So I read the Bible, and that was the instrument of my salvation. And then the next book I read was called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, the guy who wrote Chronicles of Narnia and all that stuff. He wrote some great books on how to follow Jesus, and he says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people, he messed up too, to Christ. <laughs> to make them little Christs. That's what Christian means, little Christ. You are becoming a little Christ in the world. If they are not doing that, if churches are not doing that, making people little Christs, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became human for no other purpose. It is even doubtful whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. This book helped me realize there's more to than just trying not to lose the thing that happened to me when I was 15. That God has a mission, an adventure, a plan to keep growing me. And the direction of that growth is that I get to become more like Jesus. And then I get to be on mission with Jesus to multiply Jesus into the world. And that changed everything for me. And I hope that becomes impactful to you. It's not about just coming so that you don't lose the thing that you got. But it becomes new every morning, right? Is what scripture tells us, the mercies of God. Jesus is multiplying himself into the world through us. This is discipleship. It's learning the ways of Jesus while being transformed by Jesus to become more like Jesus. That's it. That's what we're doing here. And then we're going to help other people do the same, which is point number three. If you have any questions, send them. What does God want us to do then? If God is multiplying and God is transforming us to become more like Jesus, that's head and heart. What, what's the hand portion of that? And with our hands, Jesus is telling us the disciples make disciples. That's what disciples do. Disciples make disciples. Jesus came near to them, our original passage says, I've received all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples. John chapter 20, again, after Jesus has raised from the dead, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You should see in there two things. Right? We are becoming like Jesus, sent in the same way as Jesus, but that also means we do the Jesus stuff too. Right? I would go so far to say that we aren't fully a disciple until you make more disciples. I know people that will say, you aren't fully a disciple until your disciple makes disciples. I won't do that. I don't, I'm not going to hold you to that standard. But I would love for you to pass on your faith. Somebody. How do we do this? i got a quick video clip. Wrapping things up. If you have any questions, send them. This is Propaganda, uh, an incredible rapper, recording artist, poet. 
I did get to see him live one time. This is video is old, but it's him talking about discipleship. Just a minute long, I think. Discipling and discipleship is important essentially because Jesus told us to. That's, I mean, that's the short answer because he said to do it. Um, but I think the long answer is, the reality is like, how do you, how do you know what to actually do? Anybody can, if, you, if you're literate, you can open a Bible and read, okay, I'm supposed to be the priest of my home. I'm supposed to be good in, I'm supposed to be, uh, you know, good in business. Okay, I'm supposed to do this. Yeah, but like, okay, on Tuesday at 1130, like, what do I do? You know what I'm saying? Um, but the model for which it seems as though God just understands human beings, and the reality is we need to see somebody doing that. Listen to him. So step one, how do we do this discipleship thing? Step one is that you have to be discipled. I'm sure if you've been in church a long time, a lot of this is, is passive discipleship. You have, it's, it's, you've caught it, right? It hasn't been intentionally taught. Maybe it has in times like this. But you've received a lot, and that's lovely. I would love for you to find a way to be intentionally discipled. There's lots of different ways we can talk about that. Maybe it's someone outside the church, inside the church, whatever it is. But you should be thinking about your own discipleship. And then step, uh, part of that, step two, is that you need to be a part of a community of Jesus followers. You need to stay connected to Jesus, continue to be transformed by Jesus, and ultimately have a goal in mind to be obedient to Jesus, which is something that we see in our passage, right? We see the 11 disciples in community. You need community. You cannot do this on your own. That is one of the values of our tradition. You cannot do this on your own. We believe it. We believe it. And they worshiped him. There's a bit of connection there. And then Jesus says, baptize them. And that's where I see transformation. You need to continue to experience transformation, which we also believe will continue to happen as you grow in your faith. But then Jesus says, part of discipleship is teaching them to obey everything I have commanded them. And sometimes we, I think, in our culture get away from that part of discipleship. Because we don't like the word obey or command. <laughs> right? This is not one of our favorite things. Um, but Jesus, we believe, what we believe it means to say Jesus is Lord is that not only is Jesus over all, but also the way that he lived is the best way to live in the world and in the kingdom to come. And so not only is Jesus uh, God who dies on a cross to take away our sins, but Jesus is also fully human who shows us the best way to live in the world. And so we are obeying the things that he said because we want him to be Lord of our life in a way that speaks and shows us how to live well. So we've got to be obedient to Jesus. In fact, Jesus says this multiple times. If you want to be a disciple, uh, this is what we do. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 14 says, if uh, Jesus is saying this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. At least in part, Jesus wants you to know what it means to love God with your whole self is to follow Jesus' commandments, the ways that he taught us and showed us how to live. All hearts clear. Any questions, comments? criticisms, 
ideas. Something did just come in. I'm reading it. Hold on one second. Sit awkwardly in the silence for 10 seconds. So somebody, uh, a, a brilliant mathematician in our midst. If Jesus saved 1,000 people a day for, 30, for his 33 years on earth, that's 12 million. If Jesus made two disciples in a year, and those two disciples each made two and on and on and on, uh, that is 4 billion people. Which is right, which is what we're doing with this. Thank you. Which is, I'm not good at math. I was going to try to do that, and I was like, this is... You already saw words missing in the quotes. All my de- I say all my degrees end in ology and not one of them has to do with numbers. Um, which is right, which is really what I'm hoping from you is that you would find at least one but two people to invest in intentionally. And I think I'm going to come up with, talk about this, but you are having influence on somebody already. If you have children, that's true. If you have a partner, that's true, right? You're co-discipling one another. You are discipling your children. As a biological family unit, I'm hoping that you're spurring each other, one another on to Jesus and sharing the things that you're learning. Discipleship doesn't mean that you're a master. It means that you're a learner. And so you really only have to be one day ahead of the next person that you're sharing information to, correct? And so if you learn something and you're sharing it, you're doing it, right? It doesn't have to... Be all, you don't have to go to school like I did for a million years to figure this all out. Um, but if you can share it, and it can get in a way that's shareable, really we believe this is how God is transforming the world. So two questions. I'm wrapping this up. Who is discipling you, and who are you discipling? I talked about this. You are naturally discipling or co-discipling your, yourself, your partners, your children, our children. Right? We believe that this is a spiritual family, and so if you're over 18, I'm giving you the responsibility to make sure our kids know Jesus and are growing in Jesus. Uh, that's, that's on you. Not on me. I absolve myself. I absolve myself of the responsibility. No, I don't. I'm just kidding. But that's part of what it means to be a family here. But what about you? Who's discipling you? Who are you being intentional about? Somebody did ask, and I appreciate this because they uh, are helpful. They said, do we have a system of discipleship here at the table? And we do. In each of your rows, there should be a whole sheet paper. It looks something like this. This is my one-on-one. This is my entry-level stuff. And we're starting at the beginning, like how to read scripture and stuff like that. I would love to do this with any or all of you. This is what I am going to be about. This church is about small groups, which start again in the middle of January. And this discipleship process, this is what I'm investing my time in. So if you want to do this, I'll do this. I'll meet you before work. I'll meet you at lunch. I'll meet you in the evenings. I'll meet you in the weekends. There are also some people who have gone through this already. They'd be happy to meet with you too. I haven't asked them, so I'm not going to say their names, but there are some other people who've done this. And they're seven-week increments. I'll even let you pick. We should start probably in the basic stuff, but maybe not. Seven basic commands of Jesus, that's head. We're learning and memorizing. Seven spiritual practices and exercise to cultivate and facilitate transformation. Uh, And then that's heart. Do you see where we're going? 
And then seven weeks on gifts, passions, abilities. We're doing, we're doing personality tests. We're just, we're just throwing a bunch of stuff at you to try to help you think about how God has made you and what God wants you to do in the community and in the world. If you want to be a part of that, please let me know. In fact, I think on your blue card, it says something like, I want to grow more in my faith, or you can write the word discipleship on it, and I'd be happy to follow up with you. Um, We can do any one of these. Sound good? Let's summarize. Today, we learn multiplication is God's mission. This is what God is about. The fancy Latin phrase is the imago Dei. We are... We are talking about this mission that God has to, to uh, omissio day. Don't, don't tell my professors I messed that up. I'll be in big trouble. The missio day, the mission of God is to multiply the image of God out into the world so that all of creation is a reflection of God's glory. Multiplication is what God is up to. And if you want to be a part of God's thing, this is what we're doing. And what that means for you is that you are being transformed to look like Jesus. You still are you, but you are reflecting more and more the character and quality of Jesus. And then lastly, with our hands, we're discipling others. We're taking what has happened with us and we're sharing it with other people uh, in a way that they can take it and share it as well. And so for your spiritual practice, what I would love for you to consider is, is there anyone in 2022 that you want to intentionally help on their faith journey. And maybe you're like, I would love to help. I've been in the church a long time. I've known Jesus for a very long time, but I don't know anybody. I I would help facilitate that relationship too of helping find somebody that you could have coffee with and talk with. Or you're saying, I want to grow more in my faith and I don't know how to do it. I can either connect you with somebody or I'd meet with you myself. This is what we're about. Yeah? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we get insight into what you're doing, how you're transforming the world, and how you're transforming us. Would we experience that transformation in a way that's undeniable? That's step one, that we would stay connected to you and we would experience that transformation. We don't and cannot pass on what we don't have. And so help us to get, to receive that which you are doing in the whole world, would you do it in our hearts? And then would you set our souls aflame in a way that we would share this? Not in a weird, awkward way where we're on a street corner with a megaphone, but that you are genuinely opening people's ears and eyes to receive more from you and you are using us as, as, as a facilitator, as a catalyst of that and making us aware of that and that we could very naturally and easily share the good things that you have given to us, to others. Father, we pray all of that would be strengthened or fortified or even began in this time of communion now. That this bread and this cup would be spiritual nourishment for us. Maybe for some of us to awaken us from our sleep, to awaken us to who you are, to experience that transformation for the first time. But I assume for many of us, it would be strength to continue the journey. 
or strength to change directions from a path that maybe we've been on that isn't what you want us to be on. Either way, we come with expectant hearts to meet you here in a profound way. And we pray that you would make yourself known to us. Table Church, would you pray with me now the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.